Hello, this is Gerald O'Connor, and welcome to the Hand Me Down Podcast, a podcast of history and family stories. The goal of this series is to tell some of the stories of my family in the context of the history in which those stories occurred. It's part genealogy and part history that I hope you'll enjoy. In this episode, my great-grandmother writes some words during the worst of the Great Depression. When I teach about the Depression of the 1930s to my high school, high school U.S. history students, there is one item from my collection of family documents that I like to include in my lesson in an attempt to convey how economic collapse might have affected an average family in Sacramento during the worst of the crisis. This story is about that document, or more personally, it's about the people behind that document. One of the solemn tasks that children undertake when a parent dies is sorting through the belongings, papers, artifacts, and remnants of a life lived. When my dad, Delbert O'Connor, died in 2004, he had stacks and boxes of papers, photos, books, documents, and memorabilia in one side of the duplex on 39th and M Street. Not only his stuff, but also a lot of my mother's things and documents from her parents, too. In purging and trashing the junk, it's difficult to keep on task while looking out for things of value, real or sentimental. As a history teacher, I probably slowed us down more than my brothers as I encountered all kinds of interesting documents. I still have three or four boxes of material that I just couldn't bear throwing away. My mom's dad, Gerald Desmond, had been an attorney and judge in Sacramento for over 40 years. He died in 1969, but in there with all of dad's things were a great deal of grandpa stuff, brown newspaper clippings, faded telegrams, photo books, and letters. I'm not really sure what my dad was doing with all of it. There was something of the pack rat in him, so I could certainly sympathize. As my brothers and I were sorting and purging, I would set things aside that I thought were particularly fascinating, the old photos for sure, but I also had my history teacher eye open for anything that might look historical, whatever that might mean. One item was a simple folded letter handwritten in that lovely style of the old Palmer method. Dated January 7, 1932, it was addressed to my dear Gerald, so that immediately caught my eye, and signed Mother. So this was a letter from my grandma, grandfather Gerald's mother, Mary Agnes Desmond. Her maiden name was Morley, my great-grandmother. Sometimes she was called Mamie. She died in 1953, seven years before I came along. Born in Hackensack, New Jersey in 1869, Mary Morley arrived with her family in Sacramento at the age of nine. Like so many of my Sacramento ancestors, her father, William, worked for the Central Pacific Railroad and then the Southern Pacific when it took over in 1885. Mary was bright and energetic. Her obituary said she was known as the type of person who can get things done without taking credit for herself. 
She worked at the Weinstock Lubin department store on 4th and K Streets in the years before she was married. She held offices in the Catholic Ladies Relief Society and the Young Ladies Institute. She and her husband, Michael, the city clerk of Sacramento, raised two boys, Gerald and William, and she volunteered for just about everything. Mary played a major role in Red Cross work during the Great War, according to that obit. More than a mere clubwoman, Mary was a leader. And if the little gentle digs at her husband by a Sacramento Bee writer or two believed a political equal in the Desmond household. They lived in the house her father built in 1894, which she inherited when William Morley died in 1912. Incidentally, the house at 1424 F Street, which is on the Registry of Historic Places in Sacramento, that house still stands right next door to the infamous Dorothea Puente boarding house, a macabre scene of murder and buried bodies in the 1980s. But on Christmas Day, 1921, Mary's husband, Michael, had a heart attack and died at the age of 60. His son, Gerald, was 24 and just starting his law career. William was 22 and working as a salesman. Mary and the boys mourned with the rest of the city, and soon Mary threw herself back into work. She devoted much of her time to the Sacramento Tuberculosis Association and was instrumental in starting up the Mercy Hospital Children's Clinic. And she traveled. One photo postcard that survives shows Mary relaxing on board the steamship SS Cleveland en route to Hamburg and a trip to the continent in 1925. She writes, I promised you a picture in a steamer chair, so here I am. The sun was shining, so I did not wrap up in the robe because it was too hot. Do my furs look real? Nearly everyone on board is a German or of German parentage. Last night in the ballroom, there were two girls drinking and smoking with some men, and the Blue Danube waltz struck up. One of the girls came over to me and asked me to dance it with her. I was afraid to refuse, so up I got. She began to jabber in German, and finally I said, I know Spriggan sie Deutsch. She said nine and seemed quite surprised. When the stock market crashed in 1929 and the country plunged into the Great Depression, a quarter of the labor force was thrown out of work. At the time, there was no formal social safety net. There was no social security, no unemployment, no federal or state relief. Everyone was affected, even those families where the breadwinner kept their job. Mary had sold the house on F Street was living in a duplex she owned with her brother Bill and renting out the other side to a tenant at 21st and X Street, an address that no longer exists. It's now the parking lot under the US 50 freeway, known to old timers as the WX. January 1932 was almost the lowest point of the Depression. Franklin D. Roosevelt wouldn't be president until March of the following year. A long, slow climb out of financial disaster wouldn't start for a couple of years. But Mary didn't know that then. 
Neither did her son Gerald, who was now 35 and in private practice. They were muddling through as best they could, and Gerald was looking out for his mother. Although he was an attorney, he wasn't wealthy, but he was sending her money every month, sometimes more often. Gerald had a wife and two kids of his own, my mother and her older brother Jerry. My mom was born 20 days before the stock market crash. Times were tough all around. And so on that cold January day, Mary took pen in hand to write her son a little note. She starts off perfunctorily enough by itemizing her bills, listing what she's paid and what she owes. And then she gets to the heart of the, the letter and she writes, Words fail me in trying to tell you how much I appreciate your willingness to help me. But I could not feel it was right to keep your last check. I just cashed your December check yesterday and felt that was too much. I ask God to bless you and spare you to your family and me. And if I am hit too terribly hard by the depression, I will talk it over with you. Gratefully and lovingly, Mother. I still get chills when I read this letter. So much washes over me. The uncertainty of the times, even a hint of fear, the appearance of the word depression itself, a touch of guilt, the ordinariness of the beginning of the letter and the heartfelt quality at its end. This was a family that was not made homeless or had lost everything. And while lots of people did lose it all in those hard times, it's important to note that most people didn't. Most people were probably like my great-grandmother, Mary Morley Mamie Desmond, certainly affected by the calamity, but able to make it through, yet still worried about the future. And like most people, she had her family. It's really a wonder that more families didn't break up. And the love of and for her family resonates in the letter most of all. When words fail, love takes over. That's it for now. My thanks to the Center for Sacramento History for their photograph of the old Weinstock Lubin store. If you'd like to see the images and a copy of the original letter mentioned in this episode, be sure to visit the website at o'connor.home.blog. This podcast was written and produced by me, Gerald O'Connor. The music is by Andy Slatter at Audio Jungle. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time on Hand Me Down.